My name's Peter Strymer. I'm a retired priest in our diocese. Uh, before I retired, I was rector at St. Andrews in Seattle, and before that, on the bishop's staff as the diocesan communications officer, and before that, the outreach minister at St. Mark's Cathedral in Seattle. And it was there that I met Josh and Christy, who were the heart and soul of our young adult group back in the late 90s. I had the privilege of officiating at their wedding, and I have to say I was so pleased when you elected Josh to be your rector. You all chose a great priest to walk with you, and that's been especially true as he and you, the good people of Good Shepherd, have faced the incredible challenges of COVID. I just did my first Zoom church service at 8 o'clock here, and I need to say that was not something they prepared us for back in seminary. Now, I don't know about you, but my wife and I have totally bought into binge-watching during the two-year run of the COVID pandemic. We always keep a one-hour drama and a half-hour comedy running at all times. But by far the best comedy to fill our time has been to return to all the old Seinfeld episodes. And we finally made it to the finale. Do you remember the finale of Seinfeld? Well, the four main characters are marooned in a small main town while their plane is being fixed. And while they're there, they witness a carjacking. And instead of helping, they make fun of the poor victim. A cop witnesses this and arrests them under a newly passed Good Samaritan law that requires people to help out in such situations. I only wish we had such a law in place during these hard times in our own country. Our gospel story, the story of the Good Samaritan, is probably Jesus' most famous parable. And we're very lucky that the writer of Luke's gospel saved this story from oblivion because it's only in Luke that we have this profound tale. It's one of Luke's big three, the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, and Lazarus at the rich man's gate. We would only have these stories because of Luke's effort, and I believe the greatest of these three is the story we've heard today, but that also means you've probably heard your share of sermons on the story of the Good Samaritan. You've heard preachers approach this in every way possible. They've found parallels for each of the three characters, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, Others have used this story to talk about the Christ figure in the story, the Samaritan, with his promise to return later as a parallel to the second coming of Jesus. I've even seen the innkeeper be the star of this story from time to time. So after Josh and I agreed that I'd be with you on the Sunday and I saw what story we had, I started doing a deep search to see if there was some new angle I could come up with. Uh, when I say deep search, uh, I mean Google. So, um, And I couldn't find a single sermon that took the point of view of the poor victim himself. We have Levites and priests and Samaritans and innkeepers, but no one that I could find had thought to approach the events of this story through the eyes of its most important character, the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho who fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, 
and went away, leaving him half dead. Well, no one would have been more shocked at the outcome of this story than the victim himself. Lying in a ditch, half dead, left there to die by the two people this devout Jew would have respected the most, the two he thought would have been able to count on in his hour of need, he now gazes up into the face of a Samaritan. For a good Jew, this could be worse than dying. A first century Jew would have known the centuries of bad blood between his people and the Samaritan people. It dated all the way back to 720 BC when the Assyrian king took Jews into exile and transplanted his own people into that region. And that became the Samaritan people. And ever since that time, the two peoples, so alike in so many ways, were at odds and sometimes at war with each other. So by the time of Jesus, the Samaritans had been living on their land for 700 years, and they had developed their own ideas about their God, which was the same God for the Jews, but their own ideas about the history of the region. And they considered themselves the true Israel. And so when the second temple was built, and then later when Herod built the magnificent temple that was the one in Jerusalem, in the eyes of Samaritans, this was an apostate shrine, and its worship blasphemous to God. During the time of Alexander the Great, the Samaritans had built their own temple and had their own ways of worshiping. So, 700 years of tension and disdain. So it's no surprise that during the time of Jesus, both Jews and Samaritans refused to mingle, as we learned in reading John's gospel, and Luke himself reported earlier that Jewish pilgrims who were on their way to worship in Jerusalem were harassed as they passed through the region of Samaria. And the historian Josephus reports that in 52 AD, Samaritans went down upon one of those pilgrimages and massacred all those people. This is bad blood. But how terrible and strange that two groups of people who worshiped the same God and shared the same land and history could be so at each other's throats. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he made the Samaritan the center of this story. And from the angle that I'm taking, the victim himself in our story had a decision to make. Accept help from the most hated of peoples or roll over and die. Well, what led him to leave the ditch for the inn? Well, it could have been the simple power of the Samaritan doing the right thing. He could have been overpowered with kindness and had his life saved in spite of himself. Or he could have simply realized the dire need in which he found himself and gave in to help that was coming even from a known enemy. Or maybe, just maybe, this whole story turns on an attention switch from our needy fellow. 
Vulnerability can open us to whole new ways of understanding. Perhaps when he puts his arm around the Samaritan's neck and lets himself be placed on his donkey, another profound truth emerges from our story. Loving your enemies is one thing. Allowing yourself to be loved by your enemies is another thing entirely. It's hard enough to accept help from loved ones, much less strangers, and even worse, enemies. It's been my experience in 40 years of ministry that we church folk are so much more willing to help than we ever are to ask for help. Many times, people are so much more willing to offer help than to seek it themselves. But if we're going to make it through these terribly conflicted times, it will have to be with the help, not just of family, or friends, or neighbors, or fellow church members, or all the people we are most comfortable with. It is going to require getting and giving help to those most different from ourselves, even those we despise most. If we are going to make it through these times, we are all going to have to be prepared to accept help from the people most different from ourselves, ones we would never choose to associate with. Now, our story presents a pretty extreme case. It's one thing when you are kicked to the curb and lying in a ditch. You'd probably take help from just about anyone. But day in and day out in these trying times, will we accept help? Will we seek help from those most different from ourselves? I truly believe that never since the Civil War has our country been more divided than we are today. How terrible and strange that two groups of people who worshiped the same God and shared the same land and history could be so at each other's throats. But we are. One path out is to look to each other for help, to seek out in our vulnerability people who are most different in opinions than the ones we hold. Now, that's easy to say from the pulpit. It's not easy to live. We might face rejection. We might shock the heck out of them just by engaging them in an honest way on a basic level. But it is one way out of our mess. It could be a way out of the ditch we find ourselves in. I close with this prayer of thanksgiving found in our Book of Common Prayer. O God, who created all peoples in your image, we thank you for the wonderful diversity of races and cultures in this world. Enrich our lives by ever-widening circles of fellowship and show us your presence in those who differ most from us until our knowledge of your love is made perfect in our love for all your children.
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.